Good morning. We'd like to welcome you here to the Houghton Wesleyan Church. Please stand and join us as we begin our service by singing our praises to God.
Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today that you are the ruler of all. That you have not only created the world, but you reign over it. We come today to worship you, the Almighty God. And we ask that during this time together, you'll speak deeply into our souls as we open our lives to you. Thank you for being present with us. Be glorified in our worship today. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. I want to invite you to share a word of greeting with others here in worship before you're seated. Welcome to our worship service today, and uh, we have a lot of things happening uh, in the life of the church. There's a number of things in the bulletin. I just want to mention a couple of things. One, Wednesday night, uh, our children and youth ministries are on a regular schedule, but for the adults, just notice that instead of meeting here for prayer group, we'll be meet going up to campus and joining Global Christian Fellowship. Dr. Janine Brabon will be sharing, and uh, she has an amazing story of working in a prison in Colombia, uh, one of the most violent prisons in the world. And uh, over the last 20 years or so, God has really brought a revival to this prison. And they've had about uh, 400 of the prisoners that have gone through a discipleship program and are actually out in other prisons and other places as well as there preaching the gospel and sharing with people. And it, it's just been an amazing transformation that God has done. And so she'll be sharing. Uh, then I think she's also sharing uh, Friday morning in chapel. Uh, but uh, So I want to invite you to be a part of that, those gatherings and have the opportunity to hear her this week. Uh, next Sunday morning, we worship at 820, 940, and 11. Uh, in about a month, on Monday the 27th of February, I'm going to be offering a membership class. If you're interested in that, just let me know. If you, have, if you want to know more about the church or even what membership is about, the class would be a great thing for you to attend. So you can let me know if you're interested and wanting to be a part of that. There's also an insert in your bulletin. Uh, one side of it is about the Valentine's banquet. And uh, you notice the uh, deadline for registration is this coming Tuesday. So we encourage you to be a part of that. And also uh, mentions our annual missions weekend, which is two weeks from today. Information there about that. If you are going to be a part of the brunch on Saturday morning, you can sign up this morning before you leave or other ways of RSVPing that are in the bulletin. There are always a number of things that we're praying about, asking God's grace in people's lives. And uh, we continue to do that. We do want to give thanks for the, the birth of another baby this week. Uh, Ezra Gustav Schilke was born Tuesday to Jan and Stefan and their family. And we're, we rejoice with them and give thanks to God for, again, the gift of new life as he has blessed us immensely. Before I play this song, um, I'd actually like to, to read a scripture that um, is really related to the song, describes some times of difficult times um, that I've experienced, and I'm sure many people here have experienced. It's Psalm 13. <clears throat> it says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he's been good to me. And this song that I'm going to play is one that the Lord has really used in my life in, uh, in hard times. Excuse me. (laughs) 
Another rainy day I can't recall Having sunshine on my face And all I feel is pain And all I want to do Is walk out of this place But when I am stuck And I can't move Gotta keep singing. I've gotta keep praising your name. You're the one who's keeping my heart beating. I've gotta keep singing. I've gotta keep praising your name. That's the only way that I find healing. Can I? climb up in your lap I don't want to leave Jesus sing over me I've got to keep singing Can I in your lap I don't want to leave and Jesus sing over me oh you're everything I need and I've got to keep singing the opportunity now to pray to God give to him our burdens and our concerns if you'd like to use the altar as your place of prayer I invite you to come and join me Heavenly Father, we come today acknowledging that there are many days when life is not what we want it to be. There are days and there are times when we struggle to keep going. We feel overwhelmed by the burdens of life and by the disappointments and and the difficulties that come at us. There are those moments when it seems as though the only way to describe what we're feeling is failure. Keep trying to do better and it seems as though we do worse. We encounter obstacle after obstacle in our lives, in our our work, in our relationships, in every part of our existence and... We step back and wonder, what's wrong with us? Well, there's so much in this life that troubles us and burdens us. This morning, Father, we come to you and we declare that you are good and you are merciful and you are gracious and that we need you. Father, we declare today that we are indeed going to keep on singing. We're going to keep trusting you and believing that the answers to life are in you. And the answers to our struggles are in you. The answers to our burdens are in you. 
Father, we come today and declare that we are yours. And we rejoice to know that you call us to yourself with open arms. Father, as we gather in this place today, we pray that you will bring healing to every person who is struggling with illness in whatever form it may come. We pray, Father, that you will help all who are wrestling with grief today. Grief comes to us in so many different ways. We pray that you will minister comfort to each grieving heart. Father, we we lay before you all of the relationships of our life. Relationships can be so rewarding and yet at the same time so troubling and difficult. Lord, wherever there are walls between us, break them down. Wherever there, whatever has been torn between us, mend. Whatever is in our hearts about anyone else that shouldn't be there, that's, that's harming our relationships and ultimately harming us, remove it. Heal us. And Father, we pray that you will bring restoration in every circumstance. Father, we pray for, for your grace upon all that we do in our lives, places where we work, in our homes, when we're out in other places. We ask, Father, that you would work in us and work through us. Lord, we pray for the institutions that are connected to us here. We pray your blessing upon Houghton College, the leaders of the college, the faculty, staff, students. Pour out your blessing on them. We pray, Father, for Houghton Academy, and we ask that you would, you would continue to bless the academy and all who are leaders there, and faculty and staff and students. May they know your blessing in every way. Lord, as we are connected to other institutions, schools, and places where we work, We ask, Father, for your grace in each place that it would be evident that you are at work. Father, thank you for hearing our prayers today. Thank you for for your grace at work in us and in this world. And we pray that you will continue to help us to be beacons of light as you shine through us in this world of darkness. Give us more and more a heart of love and compassion for the world that you love. And we ask, Father, that you will work miraculously and begin in us. And we ask this through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis chapter 2, reading verses 1 through 7. The passage comes within the context of the creation God has created on the first six days. And we read chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. This is is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, And there was no man to work the ground, but streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being.
Please stand as we sing together.
Father, we thank you for the privilege of being in your house today. And we pray that through your word you will help us to understand more of what it means to be your disciples. And we ask this through Christ. Amen. Please be seated. When we think about our lives corporately, there are a lot of variables. We're born different places, different structures to our families. Some of us have brothers and sisters, some don't. Some grew up knowing our grandparents, some didn't. We have all kinds of different kinds of family structures. We have different experiences that we've been through. Different kinds of, of traumas and different kinds of celebrations. That things that are, are, are different for each of us. We have, we have different levels of education. We have different kinds of employment. There are all kinds of things about us that are different. But there's one constant that draws us together. There's one part of life, and at least one part of life, about which all of us have in common. And that's time. We all have 24 hours in a day. We all have 168 hours in a week. We all have 365 or, in 2012, 366 days in a year. Every one of us has the same amount of time in our lives. We we wrestle, the question, the thing we wrestle with is, what we do with our time. As I read the scriptures, I discover that God is very interested about our time. Over and over again, we, we get words in the scriptures about what people do with their time, how they spend their time. God is interested in time. And a lot of the interest that God has in time relates to our work. The kinds of, of work that we do and, and how we view our work and what we do with our, about our work. And it's important for us to understand how work fits into the time that we all have. And, and it seems to me that, that as we think about work and time, if we really want to understand that the foundation of that, we go back to what in essence is the beginning of time. And we go back to to this first part of Genesis as God is creating the world. And when we come to the story, we discover that that God creates in in the the world. And at the end of that, as we find out later in chapter 2, we get a little more. And earlier in chapter 1, we get some distinguishing, more more distinguishing characteristics of the days. We find that on the sixth day, God creates human beings. And it tells us here in chapter 2, verse 5, that God creates Adam to work the soil. Adam is commanded to be a part of enhancing God's creation. It says in verse 5, beginning in verse 4, When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no person to work the ground. And then verse 15, the Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. You know, it took me a long time to realize that work is not the result of the fall. You know, I, I used to think that, the, that you know, if, if life were perfect, if we were back in the days before Adam and Eve sinned, we wouldn't, we, we wouldn't work. And then I read this passage and I realize from the very beginning, God's intent for human beings is to work. Work is one of the gifts of God. To be able to to model what God does and to create and to produce and to do something with our lives. And and what we find here with, with Adam is that God says to him, all right, I have made the earth and all these things that are a part of it. Now I want you to take it and I want you to enhance it. And when we think about what kind of, what work is appropriate to do and what work is God is looking for from us, I think it has something to do with enhancing creation. Whether that's about 
the earth and things or about people. And so as we think about our work, it's something that, that enhances what God has created. And that takes in a wide swath of what we do. And it doesn't mean that our work is necessarily always overtly spiritual. But it's moving us as a people and as a world into things that are good. That means, on the flip side, that if our work oppresses people or or puts people in bondage, it's not appropriate work. But the work that we do that enhances our, our relationships with people, the work that we do that enhances people's lives, that helps people be fulfilled in their lives, all of this wide swath of what we do as we use the gifts that God has given us, it's good. It's what God has called us to do and to be. As we think about our work, work that, that enhances creation, and it, it adds meaning to our work. Sometimes we wonder, you know, I was thinking about that this week. Why do we struggle sometimes with our work? There are probably a whole lot of reasons why we struggle with work. It may have to do with the circumstances of our job. It may have to do with, with you know, the people we work with. There are all kinds of things. But if you just think about work in general, I think one of the reasons we struggle with work is because we're not sure our work has any value. But we find from the scriptures and we find all the way through the scriptures that anything we do that enhances God's creation is, is good. I mean, look, Adam isn't given the task to do something spiritual. He's given the task, sort of a mundane task, to work the soil. But he's doing something that produces and enhances God's creation. I suspect that probably we also wrestle with, with work because, you know, sometimes we... We really, as a people, we like leisure more than we like work. And, and, and our work, we see our work as simply something that gets us to our leisure. It's just earning a paycheck. It, it's just getting me, I'm just doing this so that I can then have fun. And then our, and we, we don't see our work then in the way that God does. Instead of looking at our work and saying, this is something I invest myself in because it's what I do. And it's the gifts God's given me. And it, and it helps the, the world. I suspect we also wrestle with work because, I mean, you know, we, rally, we really work as hard. And, and we like easy. You know, we, we, rally, we struggle about, you know, saying, well... I don't want to work because it's too difficult and there's too much struggle with it. And it's, you know, people don't do what I want. It doesn't come out the way I want it to. And work is hard. And we lament that and we think the perfect work would be we didn't have any of that. And that might well be true because the hardness of our work is a part, is a part of the fall. And Adam and Eve sin and, and, and God lays the, the curse of the sin upon them. For Adam, he says, you're going to work the soil just like you used to do. Only the difference now is it's not going to produce the way it once did. There'll be thistles and thorns and weeds and the ground is going to be hard and you're going to invest your work in it and what's going to come out of it? Not what you had hoped. It's going to be hard. And that's the reality of life. Living in this fallen world, work is hard. John Oswald had an interesting observation about that. He said, actually this curse that was placed upon us because of sin, God actually has turned into a blessing. Because we have a tendency to think that our work might possibly fulfill us. That, it, that, that if we just do enough and accomplish enough, then we could feel fulfilled through our work. But the reality is, because work is hard, because it doesn't end up the way we hope it does, because it doesn't produce the way we want it to produce, because we all have all the struggle with work, we come to realize that work can never fulfill us. Only God can. And God in his, in his amazing wisdom has taken even this curse and turned it into a blessing to remind us that as wonderful as work is and as important as work is, it's not enough. I, I suspect that, that, that we wrestle with work because we have this sense of, of feeling that there's, there's more to do. 
And that we, you know, we want to accomplish things and, and we want to do things and we never quite get them done. In John chapter 9, verse 4, Jesus says that while it's still day, we need to do the work that the Father sent me to do. And there is this urgency about the work that we try to accomplish. And sometimes we interpret that as work, 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 work. But I think Jesus is saying that one of the, he's addressing one of the difficulties that we have with work, and that is apathy toward the world. We have a tendency to think that, that if we, that we don't really have a responsibility to bring about good in this world. We can be apathetic about what happens to the world. We don't really need to invest ourselves in enhancing God's creation. We can just sit back and maybe other people will do that. And Jesus clarifies that right away and says, no, there's an urgency to your work. And you ought to be doing things. You ought to be working hard and enhancing the kingdom and enhancing the world. Unfortunately, we often take that passage and turn it into... We have to work until we drop. When I, was, when I was younger, we used to sing a song, Let me burn out for thee, dear Lord. Burn and wear out for thee. Don't let me rust or my life be a failure, my God, to thee. Now, I understand what that song is saying. I think it's probably addressing this issue of apathy about what we do in this world. And there's so many people who sit back and all they care about is leisure. Uh, you know, work doesn't mean anything to them. Everything is just about me, me, me. I don't care about what happens to the rest of the world. I don't care about my responsibility to be a person who enhances the world. And I understand that that's what that's addressing. And to that point, it needs to be addressed. But it also bothers me a little bit. It worries me. Because people have taken that and have made burning out for Christ sort of a badge of honor that we wear. I'm going to work myself into the ground. I'm not going to take care of myself. I'm not going to, I'm not going to think about, you know, how I live. I'm just going to work myself to death. And that will please God. But I think that's a misinterpretation about how God has created the world. Because on the one hand, we have this, this clear command to work with all of our might... But the paradox that scripture gives us and life gives us is that rest has been built into our world by our God who rests. I'm continually amazed when I read the second verse of Genesis 2 that says, By the seventh day God had finished the work he had been doing, so on the seventh day he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. The first image we get of God here is working, creating, making, doing. The second image we get of God is resting. And God doesn't rest because he has to. God is not one who gets tired and worn out. God doesn't have to rest. But building rest into the nature of our world is so important that God himself rests. It is a part of of what it means to be in this world, to rest. And one of the reasons we feel so stressed and one of the reasons we feel so so burned out and stretched, despite all the time-saving conveniences that we've invented and all the progress we've made and all the, the, the leisure time we supposedly have... The reason we still wrestle with life, one of the great reasons is because we have ignored something that has been built into our world by God. That we need to rest. There's an article in Time magazine back in September. Had a picture of President Obama standing on the beach. I think maybe he had a a dog with him. And uh, it was an article about presidential vacations. And uh, it was spurred on, I think Nancy Gibbs was the author of the article, and she was talking about how some of uh, President Obama's opponents were complaining about him taking a vacation. And she talks in this article about how research has shown that human beings need rest. 
Research has shown that human beings, if we're going to be more, the most productive, if we're going to be the best people we can be, we have to rest. Because if we don't rest, we just completely burn out. We don't think clearly. Our health deteriorates. We don't accomplish what we should accomplish, even though, we, even though we're working more and more and more. And you get to the end of the article and she says, if you're going to criticize a president about vacation, we should be criticizing our presidents for taking too little vacation, not too much. But it's not just something that's, that's built into our world. It's a part of God's design for his children. I was pondering this week, why do we struggle so much with rest? I suspect if, if we looked at which extreme most of us in this church wrestle with, I don't know that it would be that we are too lazy. I suspect that our struggle is we tend to be workaholics. So why do we wrestle with that? Why do we struggle so much with resting? Maybe, it's, maybe one reason is because We've, made, we've gotten the standard of living we've gotten used to. And the only way we can maintain that is to work overtime, to keep pushing ourselves, to keep doing and doing and doing so we can earn the kind of money that gets us our lifestyle we want. It may be because we feel useless when we're not doing anything. You know, not only is, is burning out for Christ sometimes seen a, as a badge of honor, so is multitasking. You know, we, we, we just think it's awesome that people can do four things at one time. And if we do nothing, we feel like, what's wrong with me? I suspect we may wrestle with, with rest because there's just, we feel like there's so much to do. Our work is so important, we, we can't walk away from it. Lee Iacocca, you know, who... Rescued Chrysler back in the 1980s says executives come to him all the time saying, you know, I, I got so much done last year and I worked so hard. I didn't take one moment of vacation. And he said, I want to say to them, you dummy. He said, so you're telling me you can manage an $80 million project, but you can't find two weeks to get away with your family and have some fun. Something's not right with that. I, I wonder if our if our struggle with rest is that we see rest and, and, and Sabbath as legalism. You know, we, we, we all, I suspect, have experiences where we think about the idea of Sabbath and the immediate thing that comes to mind is what we can't do. And so we have this negative connotation of resting, of observing Sabbath. It's all about what we're not allowed to do. And if we had time, I could tell you all kinds of stories about the things that we were not allowed to do when I was growing up. My dad tells the story of, I mean, he, he grew up in a very, very strict home, very conservative. Um, they weren't allowed to do anything on Sunday. And he was about five years old. Actually, my grandmother used to tell this story. He's about five years old. My grandparents were pastors in what was then the Pilgrim Holiness Church, which is now parts of what is now the Wesleyan Church. And they had somebody visiting evangelists or something that day. And my, my dad was out on the back porch. And he was sitting there. And you know those little, those little wooden toys that children have where they have holes in them? And you hammer the little, little wooden round do, do, um, dowel rods through those. You probably have seen those. You hammer those through little motor skill exercise. And my dad was sitting out on the back porch and he was hammering those little things through. This was Sunday. And my grandmother came out the back door and she said, William, this is Sunday. We don't hammer on Sunday. And my dad looked at her and the, as the five-year-old precocious child said, I'm not saved or sanctified or a member of the uh, Pilgrim Holiness Church and I reckon I'll hammer on Sunday if I want to. <laughs> I don't think he did any hammering for a while. Probably didn't do any sitting for a while, is my guess. My grandmother thought that was pretty funny about 50 years later. She used to love to tell that story. You know, there's this sense in our minds that, that Sabbath is all about legalism. But it's not. That's what we have made it. But that's not God's intent. God's intent for rest and observing Sabbath is to give us freedom. Freedom to do good as God's representatives in this world. 
In Luke 13, Jesus is, is in the synagogue and there's a woman there he encounters who has been bent over, crippled for 18 years. And it's a Sabbath day and he, he looks at her and he looks over at the synagogue ruler who's looking at Jesus thinking, what are you going to do? And Jesus has compassion on this woman and he heals her. And the synagogue ruler stands up and he says to all the people, though he's really addressing Jesus, and he says to them, look, you've got six days to do all of this kind of stuff. We don't do these things on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, it's incredulous. How can you be like that? What is the Sabbath for but to do good for people? It's, it's freedom. We don't, have to, we don't have to work all day. We have time to do good for people. We have freedom to be a positive influence in people's life on a Sabbath that we don't have when, we're, when work is piling up on us during the week. It's about freedom. When you look at the, at the Ten Commandments, it amazes me that out of all the things God could say to Israel, and he boils them down to ten, observing Sabbath is one of those ten. That's how important it is. And why does God include it? It's because he wants the Israelites to understand that they've been set free. They're not slaves anymore. They're free. And they have freedom to worship. And they have freedom to do good for people. They're free. And what we misunderstand is what Jesus makes so clear in Mark 2, 27, where he says, we were not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for us. The Sabbath was created to serve us, not us serve the Sabbath. It's about giving us freedom to do good and to be a positive influence in the world for God. But even beyond that, the whole idea of rest and Sabbath is about giving us time to understand Christ in our lives. Being willing to rest, to step back from our work, To do what God is calling us to do. To be who God is calling us to be. Is is about declaring that our lives are about Christ. Not about our work. Or anything that our work might produce for us. I think one of the reasons we wrestle with, with Sabbath is because we are so enamored with our work. Because we believe it's going to bring us accolades. You know, we've come to believe that, that if we just work enough, then we'll get all kinds of kudos. And our work is so tied in to the worth and value of who we are. And, and we believe that if we can just accomplish enough, we'll have more worth and value. But the reality is our, our worth and value is in Christ. And until we take time to step back from all the busyness of life and all the things of work and of life, until we step back, it's hard for us to see that and to grasp that. Because we're just so enamored with what we're doing, what we're doing, what we're doing, instead of taking time to hear Jesus say, you're my beloved child. I care for you. You're important to me. See, something in us wants to believe that we're indispensable. But there's only one being in this world that's indispensable. And Genesis tells us he rested. Will Willeman says that Sunday is, is one of our, one of the moments we have to make the most radical Countercultural statements about being followers of Christ by simply refusing to show up for work. And instead saying, this is a day when I don't do work. This is a time when I don't do work. This is a time set aside for God to speak to me and to rest and to recharge and to hear God's voice in my life. It's a time to say... That my life is wrapped up not in the way the world views time, but in the way God views time. And I cannot hear God's voice if I don't step back. Now, I recognize that for some of us, Sunday is not the day we can take Sabbath. But there ought to be some day in our week where we step back from our work and we rest. And we listen to God's voice. And we don't do work.
Craig Barnes says, as wonderful and as important as it is for us to, to take that day, whether it's Sunday or for maybe another day, but we take that day, as important as that is, it's still not enough. What we really need in addition to that day is time every day for Sabbath. That every day we stop and we listen to God and we hear his voice in our hearts. It's a day to remember. It's a time to remember that all the most important things in the world have already been accomplished. And we didn't have anything to do with it. The sun came up. The earth is still rotating on its axis. And it doesn't have anything to do with anything we've done. He says, I wake up to a world that I did not create to receive a salvation that I did not earn. And it's hard for us to grasp that without time to rest. Sabbath, stepping back. Thinking about, you know, this, this paradox of work and rest and our struggle with that. I suspect that some of us believe that perhaps our calling in life is to be the energizer bunny. We go and go and go and go and we never stop. And we sort of wear around a little badge that says... I'm an energizer bunny, aren't I great? Look at all that I accomplish. It may be for some of us that we see this dichotomy at the other extreme and we view life as sort of like we're passengers on a cruise ship. Everybody's waiting on us. We don't really do anything to contribute to the ship. We're just there to relax, leisure, and let let the world take care of us. I've come to the conclusion that neither of those is an adequate image. But perhaps a better image is a rubber band. Think about a rubber band. This was was invented, I think, in 1845. Been around a while. The thing about a rubber band is that if you just leave it like this, loose, you leave it long enough, it becomes brittle and falls apart. If you take a rubber band and you stretch it around something and you leave it there long enough like this, it will eventually lose its elasticity and become useless. A rubber band is intended to stretch and relax. It stretches for a while and then it relaxes. And it stretches for a while more and it relaxes. And you can put a rubber band around some things But if you really want it to last a long time, every so often you take it off and you let it relax. And something about the way the rubber operates maintains its elasticity. As you think about your life, which of these images would you say honestly describes you? Are you living your life like the Energizer Bunny? Are you living your life like a passenger on a cruise ship? Are you living your life like a rubber band? Heavenly Father, it's a hard word for us. This paradox of work and rest is not easy. Somehow, Father, help us to see that living in this tension is what gives us life, what draws us to you and helps us to be fully who you created us to be. Lord, open our eyes to the reality of how we're living our lives. And give us grace, even today, to take one step to make that different.
We've asked this through Christ. Amen. stand as we sing together. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your heart to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, the Father, through him. Empty hands held high, such small sacrifice, if not joined with my love, I see in vain
As you leave this morning, we have a rubber band for you. You can pick them up in the back. There's a couple of someone's chairs up here. I want to encourage you, if it doesn't bother you too much, I mean, wear it on your wrist this week, lay it on your desk, something to remind you that when you see that, that God has called us to work and to rest. And we need both to be the people God's called us to be. So make sure you take a rubber band with you when you go this morning. Receive the benediction. May the Lord bless you, keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen.